welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. Well, hello. Hello, this is my first time. I mean, I've traveled the world. I have traveled the world, and somehow I hopped right over Long Beach. I don't even know what happened. This is the first time I ever flew into this cute little airport you got here. Like, wow, that was pretty. It was very, very nice surprise. Very nice surprise. Um, I'm not sure about the toupee you got here on the stage, though. I, I'm a little scared that I'm gonna, I'm gonna lose it. Um, I, first off, I'm just gonna give away some stuff, and. Um, I thought Darren was going to name them all, but he, he stopped. I've, <laughs> Bob's book, I'll tell him. I'll tell, I'll tell him that you stopped. Uh, culture of Honor. Culture of Honor is really the counter culture to the culture of control. And so a culture of control would be the government of this world. And Jesus said, I, I did not come to rule like the Gentiles and lord over. And so there's a completely different paradigm that goes into the culture of honor. So uh, I'm going to give that away. Uh, loving our kids on purpose is how you create a culture of honor in your home. It's how you teach your children how our father parents us. Because he's not screaming at us and threatening us and slapping us and taking us out to the woodshed. Although you've heard sermons about Preachers being taken to the woodshed. No, 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 you, no that's not true. Um, and then here's a, a children's book. that it's some, there's, there's three of them. They're little stories that you can read with your kids that are actual stories that happened with our kids while we were implementing Loving Our Kids. <laughs> this book is called Powerful and Free, and it's all about shattering the glass ceiling for women in the church because... Jesus didn't make any second-class Christians. Whether you have a... Appendage. Or an any. Matters not to the king. Uh, There's neither Jew nor Gentile... Free nor slave. We seem to get that one pretty well. Those, those were, we're, we're kind of over-arguing about whether you think I'm circumcised or not, right? Anybody care about that? <laughs> good, good. We got past that one. That was a big deal in Paul's day. That was a big deal. Free nor slave, you know, we're pretty much all in favor of no slavery, right? Okay. Uh, neither male nor female. I'm still kind of all twisted up on that. Then we added some stuff now, but powerful and free. It's in the book. Keep your love on. This, this, this is the how you do the culture of honor. This, uh, this is the how. That's the why. That's the how you do it in the family. That's how you do it towards the ladies. This is just how you do it to the other people. Uh, Pathway to Powerful is written, uh, Carla Chud is a pastor in Alaska, I've been there a number of times, and she said, you know, we've heard all your messages, we can quote them, we just don't know how to do them. (laughs) Good friend of mine, Bob Hassan, we wrote a book together, 
It's really the journey from being an orphaned leader who has a strong leadership gift and or business gift, but didn't really know how to trust his father to lead him and bring the kingdom to his business. And then this is unpunishable, and unpunishable is what do we do with the scary people in a culture of honor? Because not everybody plays by the rules. And um, pretty much nobody plays by the rules. And so there's always these scary, hurtful exchanges. Um, and I'm just talking about the pastors. That's generally how you get to know me. It's generally how you get to know me. Everybody knows Bill, loves Bill. Everybody's heard Chris because he won't stop talking. But the way you meet Danny Silk is you blow up your life. You blow up your life, and here I come. I will help you. All right. Now, these are up here because they're gifts. So you can sit there all day. I don't care. I'm just going to leave these here. If you'd like me to sign one of them, I will afterwards. <laughs> but that's entirely up to you. Uh, all the other stuff is online in our Life Academy. Our Life Academy is uh, probably 20, uh, 20 segments or, or offers that have eight sessions, usually at least in each one. So there's hundreds of courses for the price of a, a grande with a couple shots or something. You know, it's, it's like eight bucks a month. It's really really worth the investment for you to pour into um, those you, you care about and really about you becoming more Christ-like in the way you interact with people who seem to be going crazy right in front of you, whether that's a toddler or your spouse, which are interchangeable. If you're not married, brace yourself. Because it's not difficult to all of a sudden just lose your stuffing right in front of another adult. Anybody ever seen that? Yeah, yeah. If not, you haven't been outside in the last couple of years. It's kind of it's kind of cray cray out there. Well, what I'd like to talk to you about today, uh, by request, I, it was a request that I uh, kind of zero in today on part of the keep your love on material, uh, since, you know, it's, it's our kind of our first meeting. I thought I would just totally offend you. <laughs> nah, I just want to talk about boundaries today. Tell you a little bit about boundaries, but I'm going to frame it maybe a little different than you would expect it, because... For whatever reason, uh, a lot of people think that boundaries are how I, I keep people out of my life. And no, that's, that's rejection. Rejection and boundaries are worlds apart. They're, they're heaven and earth apart. But most of us have learned that mature love casts out fear. Amen? Mature love, perfect love, casts out fear. But immature love casts out people.
I'll just do this every once in a while, and then you do that right there. What you're doing? This will kind of be our rhythm for a while until we get to know each other. I'll say something that you know, like Jesus loves you, and you say amen because you knew that already, okay? So Jesus loves you. Amen. Amen. All right. And then when I say something that you didn't know, then you could do that right there, what you're doing right now. Okay? But you can't do it the whole time. You can't just sit there the whole time. So every once in a while, you hear me say something that you know, you go, amen. Okay? He is risen. Amen. Amen. All right. Okay, good. You got that. That's excellent. You have been created so incredibly unique that you don't even realize it. You don't even know how specific you are and and you being here is such a divine, specific assignment that you cannot be replaced. You cannot be replaced. You are the one who has your gift mix that has your spot in this generation with your access to these relationships. You have it. Nobody else will ever has. It's you. Okay? So this is you. This is uh, uh, Cain kills Abel. And the Lord says, does not the very blood of your brother Abel cry out from the ground? As to say, there's only one. There'll never be another Abel. That's why the Lord says, do not murder. I have a plan. You're messing up my plan with your murdering. You took my one-of-a-kind out. Therefore, your life is an assignment. It's a calling. It's an identity. It's... an anointing, yours, you, specifically. Therefore, you must learn how to say yes so that your life will happen as your design. See, you have this precious thing about you that's known as your yes. It's yours. No one else can do your yes. Just you. Now, you can not do your yes. But no one else can do your yes for you. Therefore, You have to learn how to say no. Because if you don't learn how to say no, you'll never be able to say yes. 
Because as soon as you say yes to one thing, you said yes to this thing that the Lord is leading you into, the Lord has assigned you to, the Lord has called you to, the Lord has anointed you in. The second you say, yes, Lord, yes, you just said no to everything else. When I said yes to the garden, because I am finite and kind of present, I said no to everywhere else on the planet, including my own home. I said yes and no. That's how this works. That's how this works. I like to, I like to look at Jesus because he's fun to look at. And he's, and he's right. He's probably the best example that we have of somebody doing it right. I see. I knew you knew that. I knew you knew that part. Jesus the lover of your soul, the most compassionate, kind, wonderful human being you could ever meet, gets it all right all the time, somebody we all want to be, has tremendous compassion, right? And he comes to a city. He comes to a city, and outside the city is a gathering of people. All these people that have come outside the city came outside the city to get to Jesus before he got into the city. Because all these people need a miracle from the miracle worker. The miracle worker's coming to our town. Can you believe it? This is awesome. Get out there first. Get out there first and get to him before all these other people get to him. And here he comes. He's coming to a city. He's on a mission. Jesus carrying miracle worker juice. (laughs) And a man named Jairus, former high priest, runs to the front of the crowd, gets to Jesus first, and says, Jesus, will you come to my house and heal my little girl? She's sick and dying. And Jesus does something amazing. He says, yes. He said, yes to Jairus' little girl. Now, when Jesus said yes to Jairus' little girl, who did he say no to? This crowd of people who no longer need a miracle. No, this crowd of people who need a miracle so bad, they came to the outskirts of town to get healed by the miracle worker. And Jesus, the lover of your soul, 
the one thousand times more compassionate than you. The Bible says, and Jesus passed through the crowd. Jesus walked right through the middle of a desperate crowd of people who need a miracle. Some translations say they were pressing against him so hard they were suffocating him. Why? Because they care so much about his yes. No. Nobody cares about your yes. Nobody cares about your yes. Nobody cares about your yes. And not one single person in that crowd cares about Jesus' yes except who? The selfish, self-centered, uncaring Jesus. Does that offend you? That's how we look at it. Jesus, with head to his yes, people are grabbing. Jesus, Jesus, stop! Hey, I need a miracle! Hey, where you going? Stop! Hey, hey! You call yourself a Christian? We're scared to say no. We're scared for people to be upset with us. We're scared of people calling us names. We're scared of being misunderstood. We're, st- we're scared of criticism. We're scared of so many things that we drop our yes. But Jesus, Jesus said things like, I only do that which I see my Father in heaven doing. I I will be about my Father's business. To do my Father's will, that is my bread. And in three short years, without an iPhone or Uber, he knocks out His yes changes the world forever. Why? Yes. He didn't come here to make everybody happy with him. He didn't didn't come to get 100,000 followers. He didn't come to build a big church. He didn't come to get a book deal. He just came to change the world in three years, walking in a in the desert. Who does that? Jesus. If Jesus was like us, he'd be going, "Come on, people." Come on, Shaba, be healed. There you go. Take it. Boom. Fireball that side. Fireball. Southern hemisphere. Northern hemisphere. Come on. Quit getting sick. Quit needing some. People, I have a cross to get to. I have a cross. I'm 2,000 years late because of you. No. No, that's not at all what he does. He does a fantastic job. 
and then turns it over to the 12 Stooges. <laughs> like, what is going on here? How is this working? Let me build this a little more. Jesus tells his, his buddies, he says, hey, get in the boat. Go to the other side of the sea. I'm going to go pray. I'll meet you over there. So the professional rowers, the professional fishermen, get in the boat. They start out. Jesus has an especially anointed, powerful time with the Father, comes back, looks out at the sea, sees how far it is to go around, decides to go across the top of the water. <laughs> Jesus is now walking on the water, walking on the water, walking on the water. Jesus is walking on the water, walking on the water. He gets out there quite a ways, looks over, sees his buddies that he sent over there. And the Bible says they are straining at the oars. The waves and the wind are pounding against our little boat, straining at the oars. Jesus <laughs> looks over, sees his buddies struggling. The Bible says he's going to do what? Pass them on by. Wrote that, but that's not my Jesus. My Jesus wouldn't pass his struggling friends by. I don't even read that part. This is marination. I need you to see this because you've been trained by the world in defining compassion. And what upset people means. Peter cries out, Jesus, help me. Jesus goes and helps him. Okay, you feel better? Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Somebody tell me that part of the story. I just wanted to let you see, though, that Jesus has a choice. Jesus has a choice. He's not a slave to your need. Jesus has a choice, and he made it. And then he had another choice, and he made that. Jesus comes into another town. Ready? Let's do this one more time. Okay, one more time. Then we'll, go, we'll get on with the rest of what I was going to say. Jesus comes into another town. There's a blind guy there who's so blind, his first name is Blind Bartimaeus. Okay? So there's no mystery here. It's not a mystery that Blind Bartimaeus is blind. He's sitting back there, and he hears the guy who heals blind people's in town. He's like, you're kidding me. Jesus, over here. Hey, there's a blind guy right here. And his friends are like, shh, he's busy. He's got stuff to do. Probably has a, a, a sermon to preach or something. Shh. And blind Martimaeus is like, I'm over here. Help me. 
And Jesus says, bring him here. And they're like, good, good grief, I can't believe you're bothering Jesus. Bring him over, set him down. Jesus walks up to blind Bartimaeus, and he says, what is it that you want? Now, Bart is sitting there like, hey, 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 uh, is Jesus blind too? I mean, if any one of us was batting a thousand on healing people, on seeing blind people's eyes open, we'd have walked right up to Bart and went, boom, be healed. I want that one in the Bible. We'd be running through the hospitals, wouldn't we? Shaba, boom, take it, bang, my wow, whole wing, woo, be healed, yeah. Thank you very much. I'm going to be here all week. Just call me. No. No, not Jesus. Jesus comes up to this line. There's a line. There's a line where his life stops and Bart's life starts. And he has tremendous respect for this line. What is it that you want? My sight, Lord. Here you go. The apostles at the time have been running themselves ragged because the church is growing. You're like, oh my gosh, we got all these people. Oh, feeding them, listening to them, complaining about everybody. <laughs> so I like to think it was Peter gets up on the Edge of the portico there and says, uh, hey everybody, need to make an announcement. This is the first announcement, church announcements. Hey, um, we are no longer going to be waiting on your tables. Uh, we got some people. Steve, come here. Steve, Steve, good guy. Love him. Such a trustworthy man, full of the Holy Spirit. He and his buddies, they're going to be helping. They're going to do a great job with you guys, okay? We are going to be praying and studying, doing apostle stuff. You can see out in the crowd, there's guys sitting there like, hey, hey, Pete, like when you say you're not coming to the tables, you don't mean my table, because you're still coming to my table, right? You always have. I mean, I've been here since the beginning. If I was in the upper room with you, remember me? Sorry, man, I'm not going to any tables anymore. Oh, oh, I get it. Oh, I get it. Yeah, y'all, y'all apostle now. Yeah, I see. I see that whole deal. Yeah, oh, you little people don't really matter anymore. Oh, yeah, no problem. I'm not, I'm not offended. I'm not offended. But uh, me and my table, we're going to a... Well, there is no other church yet. But as soon as there is... As soon as there is, we're going. We're going. 
Please understand that when you say yes and everyone experiences a no, don't expect them to be happy. And don't expect them to just take it. They're going to push back. Because most people don't believe other people can control their yes. And the reason they don't believe that is because usually when they challenge it, the yes disappears. I said <laughs> for the people in the back. that most people do not believe that other people can control themselves. Most people believe they can control other people through a spirit of fear and intimidation. And what do you call it when you access spiritual power to arrange the environment to serve yourself? That's called witchcraft. So when we try to manipulate one another with fear and intimidation, it's just the practice of witchcraft. In the marriage. In the family. In the business. In the church. In society. But we're so used to abandoning our yes just to keep peace, we don't even know we're participating in witchcraft. So, let's say that uh, this is your life here. This is uh, your orangish pink house, your beautiful green lawn. You must live in England. And uh, you have this highway in front of your house, and every day, this yellow car goes by. I did these graphics myself. There it goes again. Now, believe it or not, you have a relationship with whoever's in that car. You see him every day. Yellow car goes by. Every day. Makes the same noise. Yeah. Now one day, that car decides to pull in your yard. Makes a different sound. You're like, oh my gosh, that yellow car is in the driveway. Oh my gosh, they pulled it in the driveway. Oh my gosh. They get out of the car. They come to your pink porch. They're like, oh my gosh, the person in the yellow car is standing on my porch. They've never done that before. They knock on the door. You go to the door. They say, hey, can I come in? They go, oh my gosh, they want to come in the house. They want to come in the house. <laughs> and so you let them in for whatever reason. You let them in. They walk right past you. They go, hey, is this your refrigerator? <laughs> what? <laughs> they just walk over to the refrigerator, open it, grab some food out of it, start eating it. And then they look over and they start walking towards, is this your bedroom? Do you feel what's happening here? These layers of access 
are known as boundaries, limits. And with each level of access, to move from here to here, more is required. To move from here to here, more is required. So fewer people are willing to meet these requirements. And then to move to here, and to move to here, and to move to here, to eventually you have this most intimate relationship with another human being where the most is required. Healthy relationships have a filtering system. And when you move through the levels of intimacy and access in a relationship, there is more required. Who may ascend the holy hill of the Lord? There's a requirement. Not everybody's going. Not everybody has the same level of access. Lots of people drive by your house. Not very many of them end up in your bedroom. It's supposed to be like that. Healthy relationships have a filtering system, and it has nothing to do with anger or hatred. It has everything to do with acknowledging that there's more required. There's more required. There's more required. Jesus gathers 12 out of the nation of Israel. Out of all the people he could gather, he gathers 12. And he says, you will be called my disciples. And you will have access to me that nobody else has. And I will teach you and train you in things that no one else has access to. You will be my 12. And within the 12, there's Peter, James, and John. Peter, James, and John experienced things that the other nine did not get in on. Peter, James, and John were on the road. Peter, James, and John were in the boat. Peter, John, James, and John were in the room. Peter, James, and John were on the mount. Peter, James, and John had unique experiences with Jesus that the others did not. And then there is the one. John, whom Jesus loved, his most intimate favorite that we read about in the book of John. <laughs> but even, even Peter and James, you know, when, when Jesus says, there's a betrayer in our midst. And, and Peter Looks at James. Is it me? I don't know. John, John, use that special access you have to Jesus. Get him to tell you who it is. Find out if it's me. It could be. I mean, we never know what I'm going to do next. You know, I just kind of do all the craziest stuff. Healthy relationships have a filtering system because you can't give the same to everyone. And not everyone has the same access to your life. Only those that are helping you protect your yes. 
So your life is very much about building an environment around you that protects your yes. And threats to your yes find a different level of access. Just because Peter, James, and John are in the room does not mean that Jesus has a problem with the other nine. He's not mad at them. They didn't offend him. There's just more required from Peter, James, and John. But everybody has a special somebody in their life that's just scary. Right? They're scary. Like, oh my gosh, okay. Well, if I'm not kicking people out of my life, I'm not rejecting people, what do we do with the scary people? Well, what we tend to do is pretty predictable. so mean to me and so disrespectful so critical it's unbearable I can't even believe I can't even believe that they're in my family I can't even believe I've been married to them for so long Jesus be my trunk monkey I have some very sad news for you Jesus is not your trunk monkey You get to have as many disrespectful relationships in your life that you participate in. You get to have as many abusive relationships in your life as you participate in. You get to have as many disrespectful conversations as you participate in. Even if Jesus removed all the scary people from your life, within a year, you'd fill them back up. Because scary people are not there because of them. Scary people are there because of you. And that's scary. But it's also powerful. It's powerful if you understand what boundaries are, what they're for. It starts with boundaries help you define what it is you want in your life, and you want to stay there, like your, like your peace, your joy, your, your self-respect, your honor, your trust. 
your, your sense of safety, your ability to accomplish your yes. These are all things you want to keep in your life. So a boundary keeps these things from going away. I'm going to keep the quality of my life very high. So imagine if you have a toddler and you let them out in the yard to play, you better have a fence around that area or that little toddler just keeps going until they find danger, right? Yeah, that's what they do, professionals. <laughs> Boundaries also keep out of your life the things that you don't want in there, like disrespectful, irresponsible, abusive exchanges with other people. I don't have very many of those in my life. And once I find one, I set a limit with that. If you want to be in here, you have to be protecting this. If you want to do that, you get to do that all you want right there. Love you. Love you. Over there. So if I have the toddler in the yard, that fence keeps the toddler in and keeps the Rottweiler out. And boundaries help me to protect my priorities. And my priorities are my time, my energy, my resources, and my relationships. These are my yes. These are my yes. These are my unique to me on this planet at this time, yes. Nobody manages your time but you. It's yours. You spend it where you choose to. Instagram does not dictate to you where those hours go. Got really quiet in here. Other human beings do not control your time. Well, I'm an employer. I... You chose where you work. You choose how much you work. It's yours. You can act powerless and blame somebody else. Does it make it true? It just makes it stay. Your energy, what you eat, how you treat your body, nobody's job but yours. Your money, your talents, Yours. Your relationship with Jesus, your marriage, your friendships, your relationship with your children, yours. Makes you very, very powerful and very, very important. Amen, Danny. Come on, that's a good word. Preach it. Whoa, I love this stuff. Man, tell us some more. <laughs> These are your yes. These are yours to steward. Because these will be the things you're accountable for. Nobody's going to be able to stand before the Lord and say, well, I was going to, but my job. 
Well, I wanted to, but my children. Well, I was gonna, but you tricked me into marrying the wrong person. Well, if you had a mother like I had. No. So here we go. This is you. This is the core of your life. And inside there, there's room for you and Jesus. He's the most intimate relationship you can ever possibly have. Whether you pray to prayer or not, he's there. He's right there. He's worse than your phone. He goes everywhere with you. Hears everything you say. Now, outside of that is your most intimate human relationship. Okay, so... If you're married, hopefully that's your spouse. If you're not married, it's someone that you have spent time and vulnerability with. The way we build soul ties is through time spent and vulnerability. And so it could be some, it could be one of your siblings, it could be one of your parents, it could be just a, a close friend that you've really been through a lot with. Soldiers will develop this, and people in emergency services will develop a deep soul tie because of the level of vulnerability and time spent. But let's stay with the family model here. Outside of that is room for even more, and let's call that your children. If that's your children, you know that they have gobbled up all your time, energy, resources, and our priority to you. Outside of that, there's room for even more, but they get less. So maybe this is your, uh, these are your family members or friends that you would drop everything to help. Outside of that, these are people that maybe you work with in your neighborhood, whatever, you wave to them. Uh, don't necessarily, uh, none of them have your phone number probably. Uh, maybe you have a, a, a public position or you just have people who have access to you at certain times and want something. But there's room for lots of those people because you determine when you're there and what you give. But you're a, you read Keep Your Love On, you're a Christian. Those two things go together. And uh, you gotta have you got to have a place for, you know, the scary people. I used to have little titles up there, and now it just causes too much drama now, so I'll just leave it at that. But uh, what do we do with scary people? I love you, man. I love you. I love you out there. I pray for you. Um, if I have any correspondence with you, I will send you a postcard with no return address that says, I love you, thinking about you praying for but I keep my love on because I've been commanded to honor all people and to love my enemies you know what happens when you love your enemies you don't have any 
Let me say it again for the people in the back. When you love your enemies, you don't have any. Not even in your own family. Not even in your own church. Not even in your own country. This is a series that has not been taught in the church much recently. You do not have permission to turn your love off. Not from heaven. Nowhere in your God-designed yes is the turn off your love clause. So you've got to have a place to keep your love on. Why? Because it's the best part of who you are. Your love is the best part of who you are. Why would you let someone that you don't even think values you, why would you let them control the very best part of you? Boundaries communicate value. What you put boundaries around broadcasts that you, this is important to you. You know, if I take my wallet and I just toss it out in the middle of this room and I walk out that door, everybody in here goes, there's nothing of any value to Danny in his wallet. He just made it accessible to a room full of people he barely knows, doesn't know, has only seen half their face. <laughs> Couldn't recognize them. But if I take that same wallet and I put it in a steel box and put a lock on it, you think, oh my gosh, what is in that wallet that he wouldn't just keep it in his pocket? If I take the steel box down to the, the bank and I put it in a vault, shut the door, spin the dial, you're like, what in the world? We should have got it when it was out here. <laughs> right, because boundaries communicate value. So what happens when we don't value our time, our energy, our resources, our relationships? Well, they are vulnerable to attack, and attack is exactly what they will experience. The king of Assyria is boasting about removing the boundaries of the people and plundering what's valuable. So if we go downtown Long Beach, we find a building that has no doors, no windows. What of value do you expect to find inside? Nothing. All you'll find inside is what the vandals have left behind. And so whether we care to admit it or not, when we don't put boundaries around what's our valuable yes, we literally attract abusive, disrespectful, irresponsible relationships. in the name of, I was trying to be nice, in the name of, I didn't want them to be upset, in the name of, I don't like to call myself a coward, but I am.
Self-preservation is a trap. Jesus said, he who tries to save his own life will lose it. See, it takes courage to have a healthy, loving life. But fear, fear is real. What time am I supposed to be done? Don't say that. Don't say that. It does matter. It does matter. Five more minutes? Okay. All right. Well, are you sick and tired yet of the stuff that keeps happening? You sick and tired of it? Because classically what we do is we just go, I'm so sick and tired of it. You're the, you're the pigeon. I'm the black car. I'm so sick and tired of you. I just can't stand it. Get away from me. Just get away from me. I am sick and tired of being treated like this. I'm sick and tired of listening to this. I'm sick and tired of you doing that. I'm just so sick and tired. I feel like a loaf of bread on the pier in the movie Finding Nemo. Moin, 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 moin. I'm just surrounded by relationships that take. They take, they take, they show no mercy. They just keep taking and taking and taking. And the thing I fail to realize or accept is that I train people how to treat me. I train people how to treat me. If you have two parents and they have three children, you'll watch the children treat one parent very different than they treat the other parent. Why? Because the parents train the children how to treat them. If you watch a school, you'll see kids moving from class to class to class. In one class, they sit down almost like they're in military school. In the other, the other class, looks like spring break. Like how is the same group of kids have such different interaction with those teachers? Because we train people how to treat us. When we lose our sense of boundaries, you know what, I'm just going to hop over this part because I eat up two of my minutes on that. Yeah. It's all, it's all good. So let's, how are we going to set boundaries? How are we going to do this? First thing you got to do, you have got to learn how to require respect and responsibility in relationships. And it starts with finding your true identity value, recognizing you are worth dying for. And Jesus is the one that demonstrated that. Your worth, the, the life of Christ applied to your yes being realized. Anything less than that is going to be a city with its walls broken down. It's going to be a building downtown with no doors and no windows. And whoever wants to just comes in and takes and does whatever they want while they're there. You do not control other people. You never did. You never will. Even if you're a really great influencer or you're a parent, you don't control other human beings. Your toddlers have been trying to teach you that. 
And if you don't learn that lesson, they will come back as teenagers. And they will do it all over again. Because basically the only difference between a toddler and a teenager is body hair, right? (laughs) That's essentially the difference. That is what you're dealing with here. You do not control the human beings. On a good day, you control yourself. So have a good day. And tell other people what you'll be doing. And get out of that stinky habit of trying to get other people to do stuff. And it doesn't matter how much you beg, cry, plead, manipulate, charm, promise. The relationship behaviors do not change with your words. Your relationship dynamics change when your behavior dynamics change. So that's why you don't need cooperation from the other person. It's not dependent on them at all. The day you say, I will be glad to finish this conversation as long as it stays respectful. And that person doesn't believe a word you say because you have cultivated years together with them in disrespect. They don't believe a word you're saying. They don't believe a word you're saying until they see your pockets leave the room. That's when they believe this is different. They've never done that before. Wow. Scientific study, numerous universities, probably millions of U.S. tax dollars spent on this. Google it. It's scientific fact. Everywhere your feet go, everywhere, your ears go with them. I'd be glad to stay in this conversation as long as it stays respectful. But when respect leaves the room, I'm going with her. Some people have to experience that twice because they just can't believe it happened. But the third time you say that, they go, hmm. I think what you're saying to me is you're committed to high levels of respect and personal responsibility in our relationship. Is that what you're trying to get to? Yeah. Okay. Let's all stand together. Let's just read this together. Hopefully you in the back can see that. On three, ready? For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. Very good, very good. Okay, now put your hands on your hips. Let's read this again. Ready? On three, ready? (laughs) One, two, three. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. Okay, now I want you to lean forward on your dominant foot and wag your finger at the screen in cadence with... You're reading it. Okay, ready? One, two, three. For God has not given a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. Wow, look what happened to you right there. Wow, what just happened? What just happened is that your behavior led your feelings. Okay, and that's true everywhere we go. It's like living in faith. It's like leading with faith. 
We, we obey, and the feelings come behind that. And the number one reason that, that boundaries and breakdown and disrespect and irresponsibility increase and anxiety increases is because we're afraid. We're afraid to say yes because of what no will do. We're afraid to say no because our yes isn't clear enough to us. So, Father, I pray for clarity around our yes. I pray for supernatural courage to enter your people right now and be made manifest for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit garden.church.